Hi, hi. Hello. There it is. We're on. Awesome. Well, good morning, ABF. I, I would let you fellowship for a little bit longer, but um, I'm going to need those, those seconds and, and those minutes. I'm a bit loud. Is this? I've got like a little, they'll, they'll adjust me as they see fit, I'm sure. I feel like I've got a little bit of a feedback. I am thankful to have the opportunity to search out the scriptures with you and dig into some theology, and we're going to look at theology proper this morning, but before we dig in, let's uh, bow our heads in a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for this morning that you've given to us. It's only by your grace that we can come together and study your word, and we thank you for your revelation that you've revealed yourself to us, that we can know you. Lord, and, and your word, your revelation, it's perfect, it's, it's sure, it's right, it's pure, it's true, it's precious, it's salvific, and your word is all of those things because it accurately reflects your character. And Lord, I pray this morning we would see that theology matters, that what we know about you directly impacts how we live our lives. I pray this morning that you would humble each one of our hearts, help us to see our need to know you more. And with this knowledge, I pray that it would grow our affection for you so that it would, wouldn't just be head knowledge that we're after to be smarter sinners, but, but that it would change the way that we live our lives for you. Thank you again for the opportunity to gather together this morning and study who you are and what you've done for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Please take your Bibles out and turn over to Psalm 145, verse 3. Psalm 145, verse 3. That's where we're going to start today. Psalm 145, verse 3. Uh, because before we jump into the deep end of theology proper or the doctrine of God, I, I want to establish just how deep these waters are. We need some perspective. I don't want anybody to drown this morning. Um, the, the depth of God and His greatness, it surpasses all understanding. He is far too great for us to fully comprehend. And, and, and spoiler alert, before we, we even kind of get, get off the ground, um, I, I'm not going to be able to cover God's greatness in an hour or less than an hour, okay? I'm going to fail at that. Um, I've been tasked with an hour to explain God, and I'm telling you that I've already failed before I've begun. Um, I feel like as I prepared this, this um, study, like the psalmist in Psalm 139, where he says, God's knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Uh, I began preparing this lesson on and off for two weeks, and um, I'm still not done with this study, and nor will I ever be done with this study. Uh, and I think it's important for us to wrap our minds around this, this key doctrine before we begin. And, and it's a doctrine that was taught to me at seminary, and it's called, and I think, I don't know if my seminary professor coined this term or where he got it, but he called it blessed despair. Blessed despair. And, and, and he used Psalm 145, verse 3, to discuss blessed despair. And, and Psalm 145, verse 3, says, David's writing here, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. His greatness is unsearchable. God is a great God. His character is great. His work is great. 
So great is our God that, again, we will never be able to fully comprehend his greatness. Systematic theology books, they use the word incomprehensibility, right? That we'll never fully be able to comprehend the greatness of God. And that's where the despair comes, you know, blessed despair, right? We'll start with the bad news first, right? I like starting with the bad news first, okay? The despair comes because we'll never be able to come to an end of this search of God's greatness. He is far too great for us to comprehend. No matter how much we search, you know, that word in the Hebrew in Psalm 145, verse 3, that word search, it could be seen elsewhere. I think it's in Job 28, verse 3, uh, of a man that's searching for ore in the ground, searching for um, uh, a, pr- a precious or, or um, a valuable rock, right? Have you ever, or, or have you ever, um, I, I go up to the hill often and play with the teens, and I lose my phone or my keys. It, 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 I'll just like, before I go play ultimate frisbee, I'll set them down on the ground, in, in the grass, not specifically anywhere, just I throw them out there. Um, and uh, after the game's over, I'm, I am doing this search. I am looking exhaustively for my keys and my wallet and my phone, right? Have you ever been there? Maybe, maybe you're smarter than that and you've never been there. Uh, but, but the idea, you get it, right? It's to search. It's to exhaustively search. You can search, search, search for the greatness of God, and you will not be able to completely wrap your finite, your, what's finite mean? Your, your limited, right, minds around his greatness. Um, you could have all of eternity to search out the greatness of God, and you will not have enough time. You hear that? You can have all of eternity to search out the greatness of God, and you will not have enough time to fully wrap your minds around his greatness. Even with future flawless and righteous, uh, righteous nature in heaven, we will still not be able to fully comprehend the greatness of God. So there's the despair. We'll never be able to, to finish this, this pursuit, this search. Um, it's, a, it's a hopeless search. We'll never come to the end of it. Okay, so how is it a blessed despair? Where's the bless, the good news of this come into play here? Well, because we cannot come to an end of this search, God does, though, make himself known to us. There is a knowability about God, right? God reveals himself to us. We can know him through his word. Uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, right? Things that we can't know belong to Him, right? Things that He didn't reveal to us belong to Him. But the things that are revealed belong to us and, and to our children forever, and we may do all words, uh, uh, that we may do all words of His law. Uh, the, the scriptures, I gotta be careful here, the scriptures do not contain a comprehensive description of God, right? There, there couldn't be a book. Um, put together that, that, that detailed everything that we, everything about in a comprehensive way, all of God's greatness could not be contained in a book. But what we do have is enough for us to know him. It's enough for us in special revelation to have a relationship with him. It's enough for us to live for him. And, and theology matters, guys. Um, theology, what we're talking about, what we're discussing, it matters. Because if God is great in your mind and in your heart, then that will impact and change the way that you live. You'll live in light of this great God, right? If he is great in your mind and in your heart, then you will live in light of his greatness. This isn't just about knowing or becoming more intelligent, but it's, 
It's, it's knowing these things so that we can live in light of these things. Um, so where's the blessedness come from? Knowing that our search will never come to an end, it reassures us, right, that we can always be fascinated, intrigued, and completely blown away by the greatness of God. Um, and that's exciting. You know, if you ever find yourself bored with the person and work of God, then you've got a problem, like, and you've got the problem, and your problem's probably located right in your heart, right? Um, you think about it this way. Have you ever gotten a new TV and been really excited about it? Like, get a new TV, and you're excited because, like, maybe the, is, is the right word resolution? Maybe, I don't know, the pixels or however you, you know, and, and maybe it's got new buttons, and maybe it's got new channels, and, you, you know, it's, it's really cool because it's new, and maybe it's big, the size of it's big and large, okay? And so it's so exciting and new uh, and, and exciting when you first get it, but what happens, like, three years from after you get the TV, or ten years, or five years, right? It doesn't become as exciting anymore. It's boring, right? You learn the ins and outs of your TV, and you're like, I need something better. This, I've, this, I've figured this out. I've used this. this I've, I'm done with this TV, right? We'll never be that way with God, though. Blessed despair. It, it's a blessed type of despair because we'll never be able to finish our search for his greatness. And that's amazing. We can every day come to the scriptures, you know, and, and be amazed and in awe of his person and his work. And, and so even though I won't be able to completely cover everything about God's greatness this morning, my prayer has been, as I've been preparing this, it has been to encourage you, really, that, that you would go, you know, tomorrow, that you would, you, tonight you would set your alarm for like sometime early in the morning, whether it be four o'clock, five o'clock, or six o'clock, you know, and, and, and get your, your coffee ready, because everybody needs coffee in the morning to help wake up a little bit, and uh, I know my audience here, I see him back there, and, 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 uh, and, 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 and to open up God's word, right, and, and, and to have a desire to search out his greatness, this eternal search to be, to, to be continuously amazed by who he is and what he's done. All right, so we, we covered bibliology. Um, that was the first study that we did, which is key for theology proper and any theology that comes afterwards, right? Because we don't just pull our theology from just the air or our, our best, you know, and our thoughts or, you know, we don't just pull it out of thin air, but we, we take it directly from God's word. Um, then we did Christology, which is not the typical order. We had a scheduling conflict, so give us some, show us some, a little bit of grace there. Um, but, and, and, and so now we're going to dive into theology proper, okay? Theology proper. And I want to start here. When, when studying who God is and what God's done, do you think it's important to establish the fact that God exists? That there is a God, right? How do we know that God exists and how exactly do we explain the fact that God exists to others? I, I remember in high school, I was 15 years old, and the only job that I could do, I don't know why this is when you're 15, that the only job that you can do is be a lifeguard. I feel like it should be something less like, important you know, like, than, than that. But whatever, for whatever reason, that's the only job I could do. And I, So I took my lifeguarding classes. I did lifeguarding um, at this Christian camp, and... Um, you know, that, that's, I, was, I was a believer um, when I took the job, and it was really good for me to be at this Christian camp because I, I was, it, 
I was away from all the distractions of life, and I was able to just, I, I got into this rhythm, a really good rhythm of just reading my Bible every single day, and I had bunk mates that were, um, that were observing that, not that I'm some, you know, whatever, but like it was just, it's hard sometimes to develop that rhythm, and one of my bunk mates, his name was Johnny, he was a college student, and um, later in the summer, he had asked me to go out to the pastures, which I never go out there. That's where the horses are. I don't know anything about horses. And, and he asked me to help him, and it was a little daunting. But the reason he took me out there is he was asking me um, about God's existence and how I could know that God exists. And lo and behold, Johnny, he grew up in a pastor's family. He was a pastor's uh, son. And um, he went off to college, and the professor told him that God doesn't exist. And that's what he was told. And Johnny was a little rebellious, and it was almost like giving Johnny um, justification for living however he wanted to live, knowing that now this professor is saying that God doesn't exist, so now I can live however I want to live, right? And so Johnny asked me, he said, up in the pasture, he's like, how do you know? Fitz, how do you know that, that, that God exists? You know, I see you reading the scriptures every day. What, how, how do you know? Why do you put so much stock in this? We're at a Christian camp. Um, but, but, you know, out of all places, but that doesn't guarantee, you know, you send your kids to Christian school, it doesn't mean that everybody there is a Christian, right? And um, it was a simple question, you know, God's existence. Yeah, I've got it. But like, I started talking and I didn't have it. I was a little, I, I, I was all over the place. Um, I, I, at 15, I, I, was, I was saying, I think I talked about God's prophecies and how some of them came to fulfillment. Um, others are waiting to be fulfilled. And, you know, I started rambling a little bit. And then I eventually, I eventually just kind of said, well, he just, he just is. He just exists. That's, that's, he, just, he just does exist. And um, I, I walked out of that pasture, um, smelly because there was manure and stuff. But I, I also walked out of that pasture just feeling like a complete failure. Like I, I wasn't able to, to prove to him that God exists. And, um, you know, our world today is filled with fools, and I say that biblically, right? What is Psalm 14, 1? How does that describe a fool? As someone who says in their heart that there is no God, right? It, um, our, our, our world is full of fools who say that there is no God, and Though all man knows that God exists through general revelation, which is what Aaron covered, uh, many suppress that truth in, what? Unrighteousness. Many would rather live and do what's right in their own eyes instead of acknowledge that there's a God and submit their life to this God. Um, and, you know, I've been mocked many times and, and told that I live this fairy tale like faith, that I, it's like I believe in Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. Um, so, what do we say to such people that, that come after us and, and, and that suppress the truth and unrighteousness? What is there that we can say to them about God? Um, I, I'll, I'll start here. Uh, there are many natural proofs and arguments that have been given throughout church history. Um, I'll just go through them real quick. You know, arguments like the cosmological argument, right? The cause and effect idea. You know, like if I went to bed at night and um, I didn't have a watch on my hand, and then I woke up and there was a watch on my hand, I would think, okay, well, that, somebody put that watch on my hand. It's probably my wife or someone, right? It got there somehow. Somebody put it there. It must have been. And that's, that's kind of the idea. We look out at creation, and we, we have to recognize, you know, uh, the car cosmological argument is recognizing that this all came from somewhere, from someone, right? Or you have the teleological argument, which is like, creation has intelligence. It, it, it was intelligently designed. Therefore, there must be a, an intelligent designer, right? 
Or you have the ontological argument, which I believe is what, like the idea that man couldn't conjure up this idea of God all on his own, but that he, you know, so therefore, because God, or because man couldn't just come up with God on his own, God must exist. Or the moral argument, that we all have right and wrong, right? We know right and wrong, we have a conscience, therefore God must exist, okay? There's all these arguments, okay? These are natural arguments. Some of them are good arguments, but they're secondary arguments. They're not, they're not what we should hinge everything on. Why? Well, first of all, a lot of these arguments are coming from man, right? And man is fallible. He makes mistakes. And, um, you know, a lot of the, the men that have um, pushed these arguments, um, they, weren't, uh, they weren't believers. These arguments never pointed them to the God of the Bible. Um, and, and so these, these arguments, they don't convince us that, that God is um, it, they, don't, they don't point us to the God of the Bible. Um, some of them are good, and they relate to general revelation, right? Creation, general revelation, it shows us that God exists, right? But it doesn't point us necessarily to the God of the Bible. Um, there's a guy named Louis Burkhoff. He's a, he's a famous theologian. He had this to say about the natural arguments. He says, none of these arguments carry absolute conviction. Um, not, to, not to say that God is contrary to logic, but rather that these arguments fail to demonstrate the existence of God in a compelling way, especially to those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Burkhoff makes a really good point uh, that these arguments aren't compelling enough. They aren't enough to bring us to God, especially when we consider man, which is really important to consider. Anthropology, I know, is you know, we gotta, we, we're not even close to there yet, okay? But it, what is anthropology? It's the study of man, right? Anthropology is the study of man. How, does that have a part to play in this discussion? And if so, how? Anthropology. It absolutely does. If you turn over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Um, and as you're flipping, you know, what do we know about man that can help us here with what we're talking about? Well, we know that man is sinful, right? Romans 3.23, for all of sin. We know that man is totally depraved, Genesis 6.5, right? We, we know that man is foolish, right? Psalm 14 we've talked about. We know that man doesn't seek for God, Romans 3.10. Uh, we know that man's heart is desperately sick, Jeremiah 17.9, and so on. And 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 continues to build this case against man and his heart. It says, in their case, being the unbelieving case, the God of this world being Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what convincing argument? If, God, if the God of this world, and if we're sinful and depraved, what argument then, can again, can we make to a, a heart that has suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. What argument can cut it? The primary evidence that we should hinge everything on goes back to what Aaron taught on. Bibliology. The scriptures, right? Um, the authority that trumps all other authorities. He has revealed himself to man through his word. And it's through his word that eyes can be opened and that hearts can be changed. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And look at what Paul says after 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. 
Look at what he says, starting in verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 presents the problem, right? Our hearts, our, our eyes have been blinded to the truth. 4.5 is the solution, right? That we're proclaiming Christ. That's the solution. But the divine action that's required is in 4.6, right? God must shine the light of the gospel in our hearts because our hearts are dead. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 tells us that we're, we're dead. We're, we're, we're the walking dead, right? Dead men walking. And, and, and it's not us that accepts God, but God accepts us. And, and so it's not a matter of intelligence, Disbelief is not a matter of intelligence or a lack thereof. It's not. What is it a matter of? It's a matter of the heart. And we can get so wrapped up into rationalizing God's existence, trying to prove it, connecting all the dots for someone, which I'm not saying is not important, but it's not everything, right? The scriptures themselves, they presuppose, they assume God's existence from the very jump they do. What's the very first verse of the Bible? In the beginning, God. Ooh, in the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, you know, there was a creation, and it, because of the creation, there must have been a creator, and it doesn't build this case. No, it assumes that God exists, right? It assumes and, and, and I've heard a preacher say it before. Genesis 1-1 presents us with a test. Will you believe Genesis 1-1 for what it says or will you not? Will you have faith in him or not? For further study on this, you could even look at um, Acts 17 and how Paul talks to the Epicureans and the Stoics, right? Who, who are these just brilliant minds uh, of the day. And yet, but they weren't believers. And how he tells them about God. And how does he walk away from that? Some of them end up mocking him, while others end up following him and believing, right? And, and so, you know, or I could talk about Spurgeon. I know i got to kind of move on here, but Spurgeon, you know, in the cage analogy, if you've heard of that before, you know, where, you know, if you open the cage the and you tell someone there's a tiger in this cage and you open, you know, and the cage is open, and that tiger will reveal himself to that person, right? You know, and it's that, it's that idea that, you know, God is the great revealer. He's, he's, the, he's the great revealer. He reveals himself to man through his truth, through his word. No one can prove his existence like he can. Um, you know, and you look at, you look at, I mean, any one of us that have put our faith in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has intervened and made us and shown that light of the gospel in our hearts. You know, if you think of like Paul as an example, what did God do? You know, what did Christ do? He blinded him physically, right? And, 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 and opened his eyes um, spiritually and then later physically. But, but that was a complete work of God, right? And so we can proclaim the truth to, to people. We, we rest on the authority of God's word, but can we, can we prove God's existence to other people? No, we can't, right? God proves himself to people. All right, so moving on. Uh, any questions on that before we move? Pivot. All right, the names of God. What is, what's in a name? 
you know, back in the biblical times, names had uh, a little bit more significance than they do today, right? Um, there was always a reason and a purpose behind naming something or someone. And nowadays, you know, most of us don't even know what our name means. Um, I, I did a little research uh, this, this week and uh, researched that Daniel means, does anybody know what Daniel means? What? Trouble? No, that, that would be fitting, but it's not what it means. Yes, right. Yeah, judgment, right? God is my judge. But I just take the judgment word a little out of, you know, out of, and, and which is fitting for him because he constantly judges me for my love for coffee. Um, my name means brave, bravery, um, which is also fitting because I, you know, I, it takes bravery working with a guy that shoots uh, Nerf darts at you from a close proximity. Um, Jarena, I looked that up too. It, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Jarena, hey, quiet down over there. I've got a little bit of time left. Uh, Jarena means merciful, can mean merciful, which is fitting for her because, you know, often, like, she could, I mean, we all kind of know, she could take both of us, but she's, she shows us mercy often. So, um, but a person's name in biblical times meant something about their context, their person, or their line of work. And the same is true about God. Um, we tend to, you know, when we read the names of God in the scriptures, we just tend to mow right over that. But, but let me encourage you to actually ponder it and, and, and think about the names of God because they describe who he is. And I don't have enough time, sadly, to, to work through all the names of God with you, but I'll just take three that, that are very important and used frequently throughout the scriptures. The first one is Yahweh, and, 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 and I've written it there for you, so you can look at the biblical. Uh, but the way that it's translated in, in the English, and most of your English Bibles, is a capital L-O-R-D. And you could spend an entire Sunday or two weeks on just this name alone, okay? So I'm not going to be able to comprehensively, you know, give this to you today. But... Um, this is the name that God gives to Moses at the burning bush when he says, I am, right? Or in the Hebrew, it could translate, you know, he is. And what it implies is God's, you know, faithfulness, his unchanging nature, um, his eternality, the fact that he's eternal, um, that there, there's no beginning with God, there's no ending with God. Um, it also uh, describes his self-existence, right? That he doesn't need anything outside of himself to exist, and this is where we kind of go back to that, that first point, right? The incomprehensibility of God. The fact that, like, that, that's just mind-blowing, right? That's mind-blowing that, like, he's self-existent. I need a lot of things in order to exist. I do. Uh, I need, like, w without coffee and water and my, my food, you know, I, I, I would die. Without parts, the parts that I'm made up of, you know, I would die. Without my wife, I would surely die. Okay, there's a lot of things that I need. I needed a mom and a dad to, to exist. God doesn't need that. He's self-existent. Uh, he's self-existent. He didn't need anything outside of himself. Um, next one, uh, El or Elohim. It's another title for God that's used more than 2,000 times in the Bible. Um, it talks about his power, his strength, his might. Um, it's, uh, when it's used with uh, an article, it, it it's a Hebrew article. It speaks of him as being the only true God, the one and only God. There's no other gods like the one true God, right? Um, and, and so uh, that's, that's Elohim. Another one we could talk about, just one more, is Adonai, which is Lord. Um, and, and you'll see it in your English translations as capital L, lowercase o-r-d, 
which is to say that he's authoritative. He has absolute authority over all things. One of my favorite verses is Colossians 1.16. says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Everything's under the authority of God, right? Authority of our Lord. He has absolute authority. And so what should be our response when we look at these names for God? I just plucked out three because, again, I don't have enough time. Time is fleeting. Um, but when we read like Deuteronomy 7-9 and we read about the faithful God, or when we look at Genesis 21-33 and we see the everlasting God, or we look at Psalm 42 and we see uh, 42 uh, verse 2 and we see the living God, what, what should these titles, should, do we, should we stop, should we pause for the cause when it comes to these titles? And, 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 and ponder and wonder at who God is? Do you see how these titles and these names for God describe his character, who he is, and what he's done, and what he's doing, and what he'll continue to do, right? You know, when we look at the living God, Psalm 42, 2, unlike any other God that man could make up for himself, right, God stands alone. All other gods are made with human hands and made with the human minds, but our God makes human minds and human hands, right? We can praise him for that. Our, our response to God's names is praise. We should praise the names of God. And let me encourage you to do that in your devotions. Um, attributes. Here we go. Um, not only can we know God's character from his names, but also from his attributes, attributes seen throughout the scripture. Tell me, ABF, what are attributes? What, what, is, what does that word mean? Okay. Yeah, that was a really lame definition. <laughs> and I wouldn't say that to anyone. I just, just to you, because I love you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to talk about that in a second. I, I think attributes is, there's a better word for it. Um, but yeah, attribute would be, get somebody else, uh, n- not Rick, anybody but Rick, tell me what, attrib- what, tell me what attribute is. A characteristic, thank you. Yeah, a characteristic, right? A, a, something, a, a characteristic, something that is descriptive of someone or something. Um, I, I do think there's a stronger word that we could and should use. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9, if you can turn real fast to it, uh, then turn. Speed, speed, uh, turn um, to 1 Peter 2.9. And that that text says this, but you are a chosen race, talking about the church, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies. Let me say that again. The excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Um, I'm You know, people talk all the time about how I went to school and seminary and I, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a myth that like, I've got this higher knowledge or something. I'm, I'm like, there's a Greek word here. I have no idea how to pronounce it. Erite, it doesn't matter. What are you going to do with that word anyway? You're not going to go home and take erite somewhere. We uh, quote like Hebrew and Greek to sound smart or something, like it's going to go somewhere. But I'm just telling you, okay, erite, if that's how you pronounce it, okay, it's where we derive the word perfections from. Okay, it's where we derive the word perfections from, um, and, and I think that's such a better word than attributes. 
And that's and that was it was that was the first the first time I heard that was in seminary, and I and I, I was told that, and I, I think that's spot on, because I have attributes, right? But my attributes don't don't you know, they 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 can't, don't I, 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 I you know you know what I'm saying? You know exactly what I'm saying. You're picking up what I'm throwing down. His characteristics are so much different than mine. Uh, he is perfect in all of his ways. He, you know, he is perfectly wise, right? He's perfectly faithful. He's perfectly truth. Uh, he, he, is, he's, he, he's, he is perfectly true. Um, he is perfectly good. He's perfectly loving. He's perfectly gracious, merciful, holy, etc. Right? He's perfect in all of his ways. In all of his descriptions, he is perfect. Um, and ABF, what, it, what are communicable attributes? Again, I don't have enough time to dig through every single one of these attributes, but we're going to cover it at however high you fly in a plane, but maybe a little further above. Okay, so what, what are communicable attributes? Yes, yes, exactly. Man, you're on fire. Someone put her out. Uh, uh, so, yeah, they're, they're attributes that can be transferred to humans. Uh, and, and consider that God is the source of all of those things, right? He is the source of all wisdom. He is the source of all truth. He is the source of all good and what it means to be good, right? And so these are communicable attributes that can be passed on to man to be transferred to humans. We can imitate these attributes, but can we perfectly do them or be them? No, right? It's important. We can't, okay? Um, and, but God calls us, he even calls us. It's not that we can just, they can be just transferred over, but God even calls us to be these things, right? First uh, Peter 1.16 says, since it is written, right, uh, uh, you should be holy for I am holy, right? Calls for us to be holy like he is holy. Or another example, Ephesians 5.1, which says that we're to be imitators of God. And, and, and I think in the, that context is to be imitators of God, his love and his mercy and his forgiveness towards others, Right? Uh, and so, you know, don't go home tonight or today or tomorrow or six in the morning with your coffee tomorrow morning and pray that, you know, you pray for more eternity, like that you'd be eternal, right? That's an incommunicable attribute. Don't go home and pray that you'd be immutable or that you would, you know, be uh, infinite, that you would transcend time and space and, uh, you know, or, or immensity and, and omnipresence. What, what are, what's immensity and omnipresence? Immensity, right? This is really cool. Immensity is the fact that God, in his essence, fills all space. He fills all space, okay? Omnipresence means that he's present in all space, in his essence. Like, I, I have a friend in Hong Kong, right? I can Zoom him, right? Or I can, yeah, I can be on his Zoom. I could be in his living room on a table, right? I can give him a, like a virtual high five and a virtual hug, but like I'm not really there, right? I'm not really there, but God is all present. He's all knowing. He's all powerful, omniscience, omnipotence, and so on. These are for God and God alone. Those are incommunicable attributes. Uh, so practical question. Let's break out the, the, the application, the apps. Um, what, how, how does this translate? You know, theology, again, like, oftentimes, cemetery, excuse me, seminary can be cemetery, right? It's true. It's true. Knowledge puffs up, and it can just become dead if we let it. But we mustn't let it be dead, okay? So, so how, how then, how then do we apply this? 
How does this impact our life? When we think of the attributes, the incommunicable attributes, or, or let's start with the communicable, communicable ugh, attributes of God, the perfections of God, how should that affect our every day? Should it affect our every day? Is that something we consider every day in our studies? Talk to me. How, how does that play, a, how, 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 you know, tomorrow morning with the Java, okay, uh, you're, you're reading God's Word, you're reading a psalm, you're reading the book of Daniel, you're reading Genesis, you're reading Revelation, you're reading one of the 66, okay, books of the Bible, and, you're, and you come across God's attributes, one of his communicable attributes, his communicable perfections, how does that impact your life? We replicate it the way he shows it, yeah, it should encourage us to live like him, Right? Sure, absolutely. I think maybe things that we do in the life of the church in Christ is just a filter that we can try to see those things. So maybe it's something that you think is hard or something like that. We can maybe try to recognize that it's from him and through him to his people. Hmm. And so that provides us hopefully with some comfort that there is a Yeah. Yep. Anybody else? There's more. And there's more. What? Thankfulness. Absolutely. Which thankfulness can, 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 can lead to praise, right? Praising God, right? In our everyday. You can praise God. You don't have to just wait till Sunday morning when we get the guitar and the, the instruments out. But you can actually, hey, check it. You can wake up early and praise God in your devotional time, right? You could pray thanks to God. For, for who he is, right? And again, who he is. Theology is like this, right? It, we have the mind, the heart, and the, the, the behavior, right? When our mind changes, our mind, hopefully, the truth will impact the what we love. And what we love should change how we, what? Act and how we behave. And that's the hope with theology, you know, incommunicable attributes. You know, another one could be for incommunicable. Confidence. You know, I can't depend uh, on any of you in the way that I can depend on the Lord, right? Like, I'm depending on Aaron today. He's going to do announcements and welcoming and announcements. Did you see that, by the way? Okay, awesome. Uh, but, like, I couldn't, like, I can't put 100% confidence in that because, like, what happens, like, what if his car broke down on his way here, you know? Like, I can't, I can't, you know, I can't have that total confidence, but we can in the Lord, right? Who is immutable, who is, um, who is faithful, or who is, uh, give me another, uh, incommunicable. He's eternal. He's, uh, give me another one that we just talked about. There's one I'm thinking of. I need more coffee. Yes, thank you. Omniscient, om, omnipotent, uh, omnipresent. Yes. Um, okay, let's. You know, let's bring it home with the Trinity. Yeah, let's 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 finish strong, shall we? Um, all right. And there was, by the way, there were also suggestions. I don't know how it fits into theology proper, but to to do the decrees of God and also the the theodicy. Um, so I thought I thought this was ambitious enough. So um, but there's more study to be had for sure. Um, all right. The Trinity, again, 
That big word that doesn't really need to be big for any reason, incomprehensibility, comes into play with the Trinity, right? Can we wrap our minds completely around the doctrine of the Trinity? No. Many wish, but we can't. Uh, We cannot fully know the doctrine of the Trinity. However, God has, there is a knowability about the Trinity, right? Because God has revealed himself to be a triune God. So we do know about the Trinity. He's revealed it to us. Um, What's the way that we describe the Trinity? Okay, let me just say, this is the best, and you would be very safe in just sticking to this, okay? That there is one God in three distinct persons. I see some of you writing it down, so I'll say it again. There is one God in three distinct persons. And this is biblically based. Many texts I can use. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, uh, the Shema, O hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is how many gods? One God. Now, does that, does that conflict or contradict with the plurality of persons that are in the Trinity? Because there's one God. No, I don't think that that one there um, contradicts that idea. One here doesn't exclude the plurality of three persons. Um, because the same word for one is used in Genesis 2.24. What's Genesis 2.24 say? That a man... Help, help me. Yes, we've got two bodies, but they're becoming one. You see? There's still room for plurality there. Um, one God, three distinct persons. Um, and we have a couple places. We have a, a couple places in Scripture that suggest plurality uh, in the way that words are are are, are shown. Uh, Genesis one twenty six a that just the first part. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Genesis three twenty two. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. Um, and, and we also have texts where they appear all together, the Trinity, all three persons. Right, um, we you know we could see it in the Genesis uh, Genesis account, the kind of creation. Right, they're all active in creation, working. Um, we see the Godhead at Jesus's baptism. That's a really good example. Jesus's baptism is an excellent example of all three Trinity Trinitarian uh, persons uh, there present. Right, because we have Jesus being baptized. We have the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove. And then what do we have? Um, who, do, who do we have speaking? God the Father, right? This is my son, whom I am well pleased, right? And we also can see even from Jesus' words, right? Jesus spoke Trinitarian language. Um, the Great Commish, right? At the end of the Gospels, right? That you're going to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? So we see them all active. Um, and and, and all, all three persons, are they God? Is, is the Holy Spirit God? Yes. Yes. He is. Isaiah 11:2 points out that there's a spirit of Yahweh, spirit of the Lord, all caps, right? That this, this spirit is God. Right? 
Um, we have, there's many examples and many scriptures I wish I could talk to you about, but, but the Holy Spirit is shown throughout the scriptures to be God. Jesus said in many of the gospels that he is God, right? He makes those claims. And even in John, there's those what, what statements? They're called the what? The the I am statements, right? Where he's declaring to be what, what, what God declared to be in the bush, right? I am, right? Jesus claimed to be God. Um, and God the Father is God. You know, uh, there's many texts I could point out for this, but I chose 1 Peter 3.18, which says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Something that people don't understand is that we have, there's an enmity, there's a hostility between us and God, right? And through Christ, we can have peace between us and God, right? The Father. Jesus makes it possible for us to have reconciliation between us and God the Father. So that, that text also shows the Father to be deity. Um, it's important to establish the Trinity is completely unified in all things, and just because one person um, is mentioned in, in the Bible, if, 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 if Jesus and God are mentioned in the Bible and the Holy Spirit is not mentioned in that same passage, does that mean the Holy Spirit is just, just he's gone, he's not there, he's not present? No, because he's God, he is too always present. Um, what to leave in, what to leave out. Um, all three persons were perfectly unified in creation. Um, all, all three persons are unified at, in our salvation. A, a really great text, a uh, Trinitarian text as well, is Ephesians 1. Breaks it down for us, right? I think it's 4 through 6 tells us that God shows us before the foundation of the world. I think it's 7 through uh, 12 that talks about Christ redeeming us through his blood. And then I think it's 13 to 14 that, that says that the Holy Spirit sealed us to, to be his. We're sealed by him. So even though the Trinity is difficult, he still reveals himself to us. Um, and, and, and here's the caution. Here's the caution. We need to be careful, right? We have finite minds. We have limitations. We cannot fully comprehend the Trinity, okay? Um, that is a very, um, it, God didn't, I, I don't think God intended for us to know all things about the Trinity, or he would have given us more, right? But what he has given, we have to accept as true, because that's what he's given to us, that's what he's um, determined for us to know as true. The problem is, is when we step outside of those boundaries, when we try to, you know, fix this problem of despair that we can't come to the end of this search, and so what we try to do is we try to rationalize God, okay, and the Trinity, and create an illustration. You know, I was taught the water and the vapor and the thing in Sunday school. I was taught that too, you know, and that's, that's, and that, and that's in hopes, right? That's in hopes to be able to explain this Trinitarian God that's incomprehensible to our knowledge, but, we, but by doing that, we are going against what the scriptures, how the scriptures describe God, there is no good illustration that illust or picture that shows God, right? It, when, when you do that, you step, into, um, you step into error with modalism, Arianism, and partialism. And, uh, all right, so modalism, okay? <laughs> modalism, modalism is the idea that you have one God who sometimes is the Father, sometimes is the Spirit, and sometimes 
is the Son. That's not how the Scripture describes it, right? That's not, that's not how the Scripture lays that out for us, okay? And so when you hear an illustration that's trying to rationalize this so that we can wrap our minds around it, that's, that's, that, that's an error, that's a danger, right? That, that goes against what God's Word says. Do you understand that? Even if we can't fully wrap our heads around it, it's better to say that we believe in one God and three distinct persons, right? And there's, there's other, you know, Arianisms, the idea that, you know, God the Father created the Son and the Holy Spirit, and that's obviously not true. Um, that goes against Scripture. Um, in partialism, I struggle with this one a little bit, but partialism is that idea that there's really no distinctions, and, and this is important for you to know, right, that, that God the Father is not God the Son, and the God the Son is not God the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father, and the Holy Spirit is not the Son, right? They are all distinct from each other, right? Again, finite minds, it's mind-blowing, but it's important to understand that's what's been communicated to us through God's Word, and just because you don't understand it doesn't mean that you need to rationalize it or go against what God's Word says. We have to accept this to be true and recognize we're weak, and we wish that we could take in more, okay? Um, any, any questions? I see some that have just fallen into despair, it looks like, and, and others, and others that, that might be still with me. But yeah, there was a lot to bite off, and I feel like, to be honest with you, I feel like we didn't even start to dig at the, the surface of this. But um, again, I hope and, and I pray that you, you leave here encouraged to go and to continue this eternal search for God's greatness starting tomorrow morning or today, or we just did it now, uh, for God's greatness because God is a great God and is worthy of, of all praise. Uh, let, me, let me pray for us and we'll, we'll close our, our time. Lord, I thank you so much for uh, just who you are and what you've done for us. It's amazing to think how small and how weak we are and that you would have anything to do with us. And um, Lord, I just pray that uh, there would be a continuous uh, humility in this room and, and a desire to be people of your word, that we would uh, seek to, to know you, and that, Lord, this knowledge wouldn't just be some puffed-up knowledge that's dead and, and cold and lifeless, but, Lord, that this, this knowledge, that we would be doers of the word, and that we would live in light of who you are and what you've done for us, that it would matter, that we would live in, in light of your greatness, Lord. Help us to, to, to every day approach your word, recognizing that you are a great God and, 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 and that your, your greatness is worth searching out. Um, Lord, I, I thank you so much for these, these people um, that, that are here and, and that have listened and um, that I've come to know and love. Um, I, I pray that we would continuously seek to grow and learn together uh, as a family and encourage one another as the day draws near. We love you so much, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, guys. Thank you so much.